welcome to the Binge Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, David Rocha, and joining me as always, fresh from Harlan County, it's Romeo Mora. Romeo, how was work at the coal mines today? Surprisingly safer than when I was in District 12, so we're good. Great. Well, the reason I bring up the coal mines of Harlan County is because we're going to be talking about Justified. Justified is an American Western crime drama television series that aired on FX from 2010 to 2015. Based on the works of Elmore Leonard, Justified follows Raylan Givens, played by Timothy Oliphant, a U.S. Deputy Marshal, enforcing his own brand of justice in the Appalachian Mountains of Eastern Kentucky. The series revolves around the inhabitants and culture of fictionalized Harlan County. The series also stars Walton Goggins, Joel Carter, Erica Tazel, Jacob Pitts, Natalie Zay, and Nick Searcy. Joining us to talk about Justified is Kelly Ruelis. Kelly, how's it going? Howdy, y'all. It's going good. Kelly, did you dig coal with Romeo in the past? I guess you could say we have. Yeah, bonded forever. That brotherhood. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because improv comedy is just like working the coal mines. Well, when we approach guests to be on the show, they pitch us some shows and Justified was one of the shows, Kelly, that you wanted to do. So why did you want to talk about Justified? I think it was just a show I was always excited about. It was introduced to me. It was recommended to me by a friend when I was in grad school. And we kind of shared a lot of the similar television tastes. And so he recommended this and I took a shot at it and just loved it immediately and was taken by it. So just a a lot of good memories of this show. And I appreciate it a lot. So you went to grad school in England. Was this a fellow American or was this someone from the UK that says, hey, I think you will like Justified? I guess that's what makes it more interesting. This was someone from the UK. So this was my British student mate. I don't know what you call that. <laughs> classmate. <laughs> student <laughs> mate. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah. Student classmate person. He had a different concentration than me and I met him in school, but I guess we did have some classes together. But anyway, he is a screenwriter or playwright or he does writing. And so that was another thing that I took into consideration. You know, it's kind of different when someone's a writer themselves and recommends shows because Romeo, I'm sure, can relate to this where you kind of approach the show in a different way and have a different appreciation for it. He's never given me a bad recommendation. And his recommendation of me not knowing anything about the show, never hearing anything about it. And it turns out to be this like American Western Kentucky, you know, like kind of modern Western with Timothy Oliphant, who is from Modesto, the town that I hail from, and he had no idea. So it was very interesting. He was kind of spot on with his recommendation. And that was fascinating for me. But when you told me this, like a couple of years ago, you're like, wait, so someone from the UK recommended such an American show because mm-hmm. it's like American so unapologetically. I thought that its appeal, like another FX show, The Americans, was so niche that I don't think it would ever cross cultural barriers that other people would be like, yeah, we like this show. Yeah. And so he recommends you the show. How far along had the show been when you first heard about it? I think it was three seasons in. I had a lot to binge and enjoy. And I'm I'm a binger. I tend to do like three or four episodes in one go just because if I like the show, I, I want to keep going. I don't like being on the edge of my seat for a week. But it wasn't done yet. It was interesting because I was in the UK and in England, when I was watching Netflix, it had all the seasons that were available at that time. And I wasn't done by the time that I came back to the States. And I was in California and went to log into my Netflix account and they were gone. It was like a a regional thing that they only let you watch Justified, oddly enough, in England. And I couldn't watch (laughs) this American show in the United States yet. I did have to wait it out. And then I got current eventually and was able to watch week to week for the last couple seasons, I think. So what was it about the pilot that got you hooked? I think the same thing that got, well, maybe not the same reason, but the same thing that got Romeo hooked was the main character, you know, Raylan Givens is just so intriguing. And the cast of characters around him too. I think for this series, I loved that every season they had the reoccurring characters, but had new characters come in as well. And the cast from A to Z was always really great from minor characters to the large characters. And just the way Raylan interacted with everyone, I think particularly the scene with Dewey Crow comes in and Dewey's like this, like oblivious, bottom rung, outlaw kind of character. And he's just fearless with his nonsense, I guess. And there's just a lot of sass in him. (laughs) And I appreciate that. Yeah, he doesn't take any BS. And he begrudgingly has to go back home. I kind of relate to that. Like, I like my hometown to an extent, but 
but there are times where I'm like, oh man, when your mom says, hey, can you go to the grocery store and grab something? And you're thinking to yourself, oh, but I might run into somebody I don't want to run into. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's what I think about Raylan in that first episode when he has to go to Harlan County. He's like, oh gosh, I'm going to run into somebody that I don't want to run into. And sure enough, he runs into Dewey Crow. He is sort of happy to see Boyd Crowder and he's very intrigued to see Ava Crowder. <laughs> but he has so much connection in that area that I can see why he comes off a little sassy towards people yeah. and just doesn't want to take their crap because he knows he knows the game. He knows everybody there. He knows the kind of crap they kind of pull. I mean, his own father was a basically a career criminal. So there's a lot of resentment there, surely, when he visits Harlan County. And they do bring that in a lot of him mm-hmm. being the local. And so they kind of enlist him for specific tasks or to talk to certain people because he knows the lingo, he knows the culture, and that plays into it. And like you said, that happens to everyone, that relatability of going back home and not necessarily wanting to be there or knowing everybody and everything. And I think that was part of it as well as just opening this can of knowing what's going to come from someone that's butting heads with their past that they don't necessarily want to be in. I will have to say with the pilot and throughout the series, the dialogue is just so unique and it feels authentic that it seems like Graham Yost is is the showrunner and the fellow writers if any other show tried to mimic the language it wouldn't work and yet somehow it's so effortless Elmore Leonard which you had mentioned earlier it was kind of based off of his writings and I read that Graham Yost the first day in the writings room said first assignment is read 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 Mm -hmm. to specifically go back to Elmore Leonard and kind of pick up on the way that he writes and his nuances because you know his influences really kind of seeped into the show and they wanted to get that in there and not just be somebody if we're writing from a person's perspective let's get try to get into that person's perspective instead of just kind of adding another layer to it i remember reading in an interview or watching an interview with timothy oliphant saying that elmore leonard's writing is so good it's like you don't know if someone's being cordial or someone actually just threatened your life (laughs) (laughs) so are we going out for pancakes or is he going to shoot me (laughs) And yeah, back to Romeo's point, it does. It makes the writing just so unique in comparison to other shows. And I'm not going to say which characters or what the scene was in reference to, but there was a scene where it was like the main character was like, take care of him to his henchman. And the henchman just turns around and shoots the guy. And the main character is like, well, what did you go and do that for? And he's like, you said take care of him. (laughs) The perfect example of that comes to mind is the first meeting from the audience perspective is between Tim the Elephant's character and Marco Martindale's character in the, I believe it was the second season, where he goes down to the to her um, little shop and the two of them sort of do this little dance like, are we friendly or are we going to kill each other? I, and I kind of lived for those moments when I was watching those few episodes because they were just so good. And it's like the perfect storm. I mean, we talked about this before on the podcast. When you have the right set of actors with the piece of writing and it just comes together so seamlessly. And it is kind of a masterclass of how to train transfer what's on page to the screen perfectly. That's good to hear from especially you as a writer. And I think that's what makes this show so great. Not only that it was so well cast, but the relationship between a good script and good acting. I remember reading how Elmore Leonard was just so happy with the way that the show turned out and specifically the portrayal of Raylan Givens that it actually inspired him to write another novel entitled Raylan while the show I think was still going on. And I think as a writer, that's so difficult to have this vision of what it's supposed to be on your head and have it turn out exactly or better than what it was. And that's a true testament to uh, Timothy Oliphant. I think I appreciate that about all the characters, that there's not necessarily a clear sense of who they are. They're very complex, just like human beings would be. And there's this kind of like moral dichotomy with the people on the side of the law, as well as the people on the other side. You kind of root for everyone and no one at the same time, because you see everybody's personal struggles and you see everybody's kind of history and their their moral qualities boundaries and mm-hmm. Raylan's ex-wife Winona has this as well like a certain moment in the show where she kind of does something against character and she doesn't know why but she's motivated by you know all these things in her life and it's just interesting how all the characters kind of have that and it just keeps it interesting and everybody's family they include a lot of crime families so everything's just so high stakes because you're doing these horrible things but in the sense of your family and everyone can relate to that I think that's what kind of keeps the push and pull going throughout the whole series yeah yeah, legacy is like really important in this show. I think my favorite line in the whole episode is Tor 
towards the end when Winona says to Raylan, you're the angriest man I've ever met. And there right away, you're like, wow, this guy has a lot of uh, emotional baggage to unpack. He takes it out on his work pretty much. So at what point did you decide that you were in it for the long haul? Sounded like you really enjoy the pilot, but did you need to give yourself some more episodes before really locking in and loving the show? I think I was locked in pretty early. I mean, I don't know if there was an exact moment, but I appreciated the authenticity of everything. I appreciated how all of the characters had such charisma, even with the supporting law enforcement, Tim Gutterson. And, you know, it's just funny that it doesn't matter how much you see of that person, how much screen time they get. You're just kind of rooting for them and intrigued and want to know more. I think that's what really got me from the beginning is they introduced so much in the pilot and so many like potential ways to go. And I was interested in all of them. It was kind of immediate and just seeing where they go from there. I think I texted you something where it's like, <laughs> he's insane. And I think the draw is going back to that line you mentioned that Winona tells him like, you're the angriest man I know, which he doesn't come across as angry whatsoever. He's kind of like that ticking time bomb, I think, that got me like, okay, when is he going to finally go off? I think that's the draw. He plays the character in such a unique way where, yeah, you can interpret some of those actions as, yeah, he's kind of angry. There is kind of like a weird undertone to everything he does, but he comes off as this nice guy. If you would walk down the street and pass him by, you would never think that he was angry. Well, I also think what helps is that, I mean, to be frank, he's a very good looking guy. And I think being that good looking can also give people a sense of comfort or like a sense of naivety that thinking that this person couldn't possibly be so dangerous because he's such a good looking guy and he comes off as so nice. You know what I mean? And and it's funny you say that, Romeo, that you don't think he comes off angry. And I, I don't know. I For some reason, I see him and I think something's up with this guy. And there's like but, nonverbal cues that Timothy Oliphant's giving this character that I'm picking up on, maybe. To be fair, though, we're spending a lot of time with this character from his point of view. But to the outside world, like the reason why Winona is able to make that comment is because she was married to him. So she knows she spent mm-hmm. a lot of time with him. But to the rest of the world, you're right, David, it's because he's attractive and he's charming that he's able to have this nice facade that he's approachable. One of the good old boys that was raised right by his parents and he realized his family screwed up as anyone else in that damn place. But from that pilot perspective, though, we just don't know how angry he is. Yeah, we know that he blew away someone in the first five minutes of the pilot. Not a big surprise. The way he explains it, oh, it was just justified. He was going to draw on me, so I had no other way to protect myself. And you buy that explanation because it's Tim the Elephant and he's extremely ridiculously attractive. He's got that Southern accent where you're like, okay, let's go down this ride. Sure, we all believe we can change you, but we won't. He's got the the perfect twang. I think maybe that's part of the relatability, though, is his anger, which is why he's able to have that relationship with the, I call them outlaws, I guess, but the side of crime. They will listen to him and they will hear him out because they probably do pick up on that of, I know who this person is and I get a sense of how he works, so I'll play the game. I'll see where this goes. Mm -hmm. Which, here's what I love about that show, too. Like, everyone's on the same level, depending on what side of the law. Neither one of them underestimates the other. And I think that is so genius because in so many ways, and and I'm coming from a world where I watch a lot of procedurals and a lot of superhero shows where there's always a lot of underestimating your opponent and then you making stupid mistakes. Here on Justified, which is kind of refreshing, and that's why I got hooked, is everyone knows the person across them is dangerous and will take them out at any moment. Yeah, I appreciated that respect that you never knew when Boyd and Raylan were going to be opposing or when they were going to work together. But they had a certain amount of respect for each other. And there was a line at some point in the series where Boyd and Raylan are talking and Boyd sends to him, you know, like, hey, I'm paraphrasing, you know, hey, maybe you should have just been on our side. You could still do your two favorite things, shoot people and be an asshole. (laughs) And... Yeah. So it's kind of funny. Like you said, they, they're kind of on an even playing field the entire time. Absolutely. 
absolutely. So obviously we've been talking about these main characters. Let's keep going with Raylan here. There's something that's interesting about Raylan that we haven't touched on yet. And it kind of ties back when we mentioned that he's almost like a loose cannon. I feel so bad for Art, who is the chief deputy at the Lexington station, because having to corral Raylan must just be the most stressful part of his job. Because with people like Raylan, and maybe you've seen it in workplaces you've had in your past, there are some people who are just kind of self-destructive. And we kind of touched on that, how Raylan is just somebody who almost seems like he's ready to blow, but he's still somehow able to pull himself back in without actually basically crossing the line. But you're always waiting for it throughout the entire series. You're like, is he going to cross the line? So with Raylan, did you ever anticipate him breaking the law to a degree where you're like, oh crap, I never thought he'd take it this far? I don't know. I Because there were times where there were lower stakes and he was able to kind of stay composed and do the right thing. Mm -hmm. But I think just like anyone, if pushed far enough, then you can see, you know, as you mentioned before, he kind of rides the line of what he's able to do and cover it up with saying it was justified. But at the end of the day, was he still going to do it? So is he going to find a way to justify what he's doing? Mm -hmm. Or is he really going to just do the right thing? And I think inherently he does have good intentions and a good heart, but people get caught up in the end goal and what they need to do to get there. And the end justifies the means. For me, two clear examples, because they gave me a few episodes to watch. It's the Hatchetour was the thing where I'm like, how is he getting away with this? And of course, how he solved his problems in, I believe the episode is called Ghosts. A lot of crazy shit happens in that episode. And the way he walks away from it and goes, well, I'm suspended. There's nothing I can do. Both times he's off duty. So technically I'm not a marshal. I can be as criminal as everyone else in Harlan County. I, I don't remember the exact situations in those episodes, but it was always still on the line where you'd get suspended, but it's like a wrap on the wrist. Nothing yeah. like really major. I think one of those situations, he could have been buried hard. He got lucky. I Even though Art begrudgingly hates having him at Lexington, he still to a degree protects him. And I think it kind of like says like the ends justify the means. He's still good at his job. He just wishes that he would listen to him every now and then <laughs> instead of just kind of doing his own thing to get the job done or like purposely making things his business. And what Romeo mentions about ghosts, basically without getting into too much detail, it's Detroit mafia related. And right. he decides that, okay, well, this happened. And as a result, I'm going to retaliate. I'm not going to retaliate by taking care of the situation myself. I'm just going to speak to somebody about a situation, somebody who's very powerful, and they're going to take care of it for me. And that right there for sure, a suspended U.S. deputy marshal to do that is like, oh boy, I think you could be complicit here and you would probably go to jail for this. It, it, it was just insane. And he, he just shrugs it off. I'm like, okay, you're a bad boy. I get it now. Yeah, well, because I think as long as like they deserved it, he doesn't feel bad about it. He sleeps just fine at night. I guess I'm that kind of type of person too. I'm not out here shooting people or anything. I can relate to when you feel like the justice of the black and white, what the rules are and what the laws are don't match with what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. And you feel a personal sense of justice that needs to be accomplished. And I can relate because in this scenario, it wasn't just the Detroit mafia. It was the Detroit mafia kind of got in and threatened his personal life and people that he cared about. And I think anyone can relate to having the strong sense of protection of their loved ones. Like I said earlier with any of the crime side, any of the crime families that are introduced in this series. And Raylan's one of those who's willing to bend the rules more than the average person. So he, I think, did something that was just true to his character, but in the spirit of protecting innocent people, specifically ones he loved. So for sure, he would definitely be suspended in any other circumstance. But I think maybe Art deep down understood why he did it, even though he was mad at him for it, and which is why he's able to get along. He still, he respects him and he understands him and he realizes he's good as his job at the end of the day but he just makes it a really hard time for art yeah and he was pushed to his limit that is a good point because he took it as far as it could possibly go without him actually having to shoot anybody he was basically told i'm never going to stop coming after your family and you if i say i'm going to wipe them out i'm going to wipe them out and so he was just like okay that's all i needed to hear and then and that was the end of it so that's a good point and, and and like they said at the office these things sort of work themselves out okay so i think we're justified you came for Raylan Givens, but you stay for Boyd Crowder. So tell us about your thoughts on Boyd 
Boyd Crowder. Oh, wow. Boyd Crowder and Walton Goggins' performance is spectacular in a different way than Raylan, but he has that charisma and relatability and you just want to watch him and you want to hear what he has to say. And the way that he uses dialogue is so like poetic. You can just tell he's a really smart guy. And I think this is more as he develops, honestly. In the first pilot episode in the first season, you don't necessarily see the change, but he goes through a change in his personal life. And you can see that he's just one of those characters that is not very one note and that you are very interested. And in the pilot episode, I think they mentioned his obsession with Ava. And I think anybody can relate to that human side of this guy that has all this power and is in charge of, you know, the series of crime in this town. But he also has a soft side and just really is taken by the sweet little girl in town. And I feel like there were a number of clues that there was more than meets the eye with this character. Because I believe it was in that first scene between Raylan and Boyd at the church where he's looking around he goes, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember exact lines that, like, you're not really a white supremacist. Like, you'll do anything to make a quick buck. Because his real obsession is not, at least in the first episode should have been included. Like, it wasn't because the white supremacy. He was just using that to get ahead, to get more power within that community. That was such a smart line because, and great foreshadowing. Because when you look at the character from that pilot, you're like, okay, this is a one-note character. But yeah, you're right, Kelly. He does progress. He goes toe-to-toe with a lot of people that he should have been dead five times over. And yet he's able to work these deals and these cons where you're just like, holy crap. Like in season two, where he pitted against Margaret Mardo's character and I guess that woman from the corporation. And you're like, what the hell just happened? Boyd is the scariest of all those people in town. I think it's like you mentioned too, Romeo. It's he has that kind of the archetype themes of being an outlaw and the bad guy. And but he also is a loose cannon as well. And he's probably so dangerous because he has such strong convictions, but is constantly changing about what they are about. Mm -hmm. So you never really know what Boyd is going to care about, but he's going to care about it deeply and he's going to shoot to kill for it. And there's like a weird dichotomy too, because Boyd and Raylan are basically two different sides of the same coin. Or Raylan, he's able to hide those tendencies pretty well and sort of appear to be a functioning member of society where you have Boyd who can't control those impulses. Or chooses not to. I don't think he can. I think he is who he is. A lot of the stuff that he does is so impulsive that I think other people would have gotten caught. In the pilot, all the things he did was basically not good decisions. Killing that guy in the truck before actually knowing information that this guy was a spy and realizing afterwards is just like, ooh. (laughs) But that's the thing is he'll make wrong decisions but shows no remorse at all. He'll just be like, oh, that was the wrong decision. I'll make a better one next time. He stands by everything that he does. Yeah, because I think we're talking about it earlier with Raylan. He pretty much can justify all of his actions the same way that I guess I'm talking myself out of my own point here where his sort of quote unquote justification makes him feel better about it. But it's kind of like the same stuff that Boyd does too, except his justification for his horrible action is because it needed to be done. It's protecting what he has, which is kind of scary. But yet again, we believe um, Raylan. Well, I think Boyd decided at a young age that he was always going to try to live outside the confines of the law. He wants to be an outlaw. I think he decided that a long time ago. And so if he can't trust you anymore, then like you said, he's just going to kill you and move on. And it's just the way it is. He's not going to feel that bad about it. But you know what's kind of interesting as you learn throughout the series is like, sure, he has his successful moments, but he also falls completely flat on his face. And sometimes even though he's getting himself out of situations that could get him killed, he's still not coming out on top. And later on in the series, he gets into bed with some people where it was kind of like, Boyd Crowder, you're terrible at smuggling heroin, and but you're one hell of a bank robber, and that's what we're going to hire you to do. Even though we're following him, and even though we see him have some success and everything, he's still not that successful by season five. He's very dangerous, absolutely. Can they pin anything on him? By they, I mean the U.S. Marshal Service. No, but 
boy, is he not doing great. And there is a point of the series where he's like, Harlan's a dying county. I need to get out of here. And then he sees an opportunity to that could benefit him greatly. And what does he do? He wants to take this opportunity and backtrack what he just said about Harlan being a dying county into saying, actually, this could be the thing that can make Harlan County great again. And he ends up sticking around and the characters around him start making decisions to counter those of his because they're like, damn, Boyd, I can't trust you. I can't count on you anymore. Part of the reason why he said Harlan County was a dying county was because he found himself falling flat on several accounts. And then once he found a way to capitalize and something opportune, he's like, oh, never mind. I'll stay here then. Because he knows the power that he has there and what his name carries in that area. But I think that he was just finding dead end after dead end and realized, like, I got to start fresh. And I think to myself, the supporting characters in Harlan County, where it's like these people, they're just kind of stuck there. And man, before the podcast started, me and Romeo weren't going to bring up the show, but here I am bringing it up. It's like The Wire, where you see all these young kids who don't have anywhere to go and don't have a good support system. So they kind of fall into being in the drug game and start selling drugs on the corners. And Harlan County is a lot of the same way. Either you go work at the coal mines or you get involved in criminal activity. Going back to what you mentioned, you talk about legacy. Crime in Harlan County is a legacy. It is this trap that no one can really escape. Oh, you can say that uh, Raylan escaped when he went to the Marshalls, graduated and moved to Florida, but he's still carrying all that baggage. He can leave it when he's gone, but now that he's kind of stuck and entrenched in it again, you see how his dad and his ex-wife and all this stuff gets dragged into his job and everything else that he's doing. So I think that's just, he's back in the whirlpool again. Because unfortunately, you're indoctrinated. Because if you look at a small county, there's not much opportunity. And when you're that isolated, you have to rely on each other. So yeah, you can try to leave, but then you lose your support system. So you kind of feel like you can't leave. Added with a strong sense of legacy, like you don't want to be the one that abandons the family. I think Ava goes into that at one point. She mentions, oh, I always have wanted to go to Lexington. And that's like, what, like a few hours away from she sees that as getting out because it's like the closest big city like a couple hours away. But if you think about it though, any larger city that you're originally from will bring more opportunities and it will break the cycle because if you stay within a small little community, you're just going to fall into the same cycle that you pass on to generation and generation until suddenly finally leaves. I believe it was Faulkner who had a series of stories that talked about the same family throughout different generations, how you fall into the same patterns until someone finally breaks it. And this is how I sort of see Harlan County, or rather the fictionalized version within this world and justified, I should clarify, because Harlan County is a real place. It is hard for them to sort of escape that cycle. Someone like Ava to say like Lexington, that may be the best break for her to get away from the trauma that she's endured and the people in her family before her. Because even a small little geographical move will open up a lot of opportunities for someone like her. And it's interesting because as you mentioned, Harlan County is a real place and this is how they fictionalize it. But I'm curious, it seems like such an authentic show, how much of it is drawn from real life influences and how much is just kind of like they wanted to portray this area. And Walton Goggins, who plays Boyd Crowder amazingly, originally was reported as turning down this role. And he had done it a couple times maybe because he's from a certain area. I don't know if Mississippi or somewhere near Kentucky or something. And he has kind of that cultural influence. And he just was worried about portraying some kind of stereotype or stigma about characters there or the environment there. And it was interesting that that was kind of a worry in his mind of this is where I came from. And I don't want people to think bad about it. So we mentioned Ava a couple times, but I'll just leave the floor to you, Kelly. Are there any other main characters you wanted to touch on? It's hard to pick out just one because with Boyd Crowder, there was so many guest stars come in. And that's another thing I love about this show is like Alan Tudyk comes in at one point. Patton Oswalt. There's a here watch a couple of these episodes. I'm like, wait, what the hell is Patton Oswalt doing? And of course he plays the idiot that I know that he's capable of. And I love so much that he does. His character is brilliant. Bob, I forget his name. Yeah, Constable Bob. (laughs) Perfect. But he's he's wonderful too. Every character is great. And you buy it. And that's the brilliant part because usually when you're watching a prestige show like this and they bring in um, big names for cameos or small parts, it totally takes 
takes you out of the reality that the setup here i recognize so many people like jeremy davies jim beaver who is bobby singer on almost everything that is eric kripke he plays a version of bobby singer and i saw him in this i'm like oh jim beaver has a real dark side it's amazing how they find all of these guest stars like michael malley he's the doorman from the good place and kurt's father from glee and then he's in this role i'm like what the hell's going on michael rapaport's in there i don't know the actor's name who plays win duffy but he's a great kind of reoccurring in and out character as well i love win duffy <laughs> and he Wind- has an evolution of facial hair throughout the series as well which is interesting to watch. <laughs> it's like its own character and i love in the later seasons when he becomes a main cast member that you start to learn about his little things that he likes to do like he likes to get tanned he has a tanning right. booth in his hotel room <laughs> Right. That's genius. He loves women's tennis. We come to learn that he actually has a tennis ball signed by Billie Jean King. <laughs> a pioneer, amazing. as he puts it. Oh, I missed um, that. Yeah, that, I think that was in the series finale. I love that about him. This is funny because you want to punch him in the face, but at the same time, you're like, oh, God, I love this guy. Yeah, the way humor is injected with both sides of people on the law and then the outlaws is just fantastic. It's always going to be something interesting, a good time, amazing banter between all of the characters. Yeah, and I think Timothy Oliphant always said that he thinks the show is very funny. In fact, he wanted the show to be even funnier. I think that's just him just wanted to be in a comedy. And after he left Justified, that's exactly what he did. He went on Santa Clarita Diet because he's right. There's just so much comedy infused in this series. Give it up for Graham Yost and the rest of the writing team. They just did a hell of a job, man. They they did. It is a dark comedy. You can find some great comedic bits if you pay close attention. I think the comedy comes through because the actors are able to find it. Because I think if you didn't have as talented actors that they were able to find, a lot of those funny bits wouldn't come off right. I think to your point, Romeo, is there are some, a lot of recognizable names, a lot of big names in the characters that are introduced, but everyone does such a good job that you don't look at it as some kind of like token thing that they put in there to get ratings. It's just cast very well. And so Mm -hmm. there's so much authenticity and such a good bond between the characters that everything comes across so naturally, including the humor. Right. And for something like casting someone as well recognizable as Patton Oswald. I don't remember at the time how big he was outside of the comedy world. I don't know if it was Ratatouille he, there. He was a, he's a big name comedian by that point. Yeah, I think it also corresponded with a lot of serious stuff that he's getting noticed for, I believe. United States of Terra and... Big fan. Young oh, adult right. might have been around that time. So yeah, we've circled around some of these supporting characters and I think we should get into some of them. I would like to start out with the season two characters I get introduced here real quick. Margo Martindale, of course, wonderful character actor. Mags Bennett, this is probably her best work, to be quite honest. She's both attempting to be motherly towards Loretta McCready, but also can be very menacing and even cruel to her own children, as we see her with Coover. She's very demeaning towards Coover because Coover's just a big old stoner idiot. But that's one right there. Do you have any thoughts on Mags? She is interesting. Her ability to be so cutthroat, but at the same time, just wanting a little daughter and like putting barrettes in her hair and having the greatest time. Her being nicer to Loretta than Coover, her own son, which kind of plays into the plot as well. But her family, that's another great supporting character, Dickie Bennett, and how it's like her whole family is like so chock full of all these different unique personalities. Absolutely. And another thing about Mags is you almost can't believe that she would even try to attempt to get away with what she tried to do. She basically sold out Harlan County for her own riches. Did she anticipate the backlash that she got? No, because... I thought she could have swept it under the rug. And I think she would have gone away for it if it wasn't for good old Boyd coming in and screwing her over. She was able to play everyone. And I think she overplayed her hand towards the end of it. I think she Mm -hmm. lost sight of her ultimate goal was to bring her own family out of poverty and break the cycle and go legit. And also inviting the daughter of the man she killed. (laughs) 
into her house too. Probably not the smartest play either, but you live and learn, I guess. That was more, I think, um, Coover's misstep. Because Coover's a dumbass. But you could argue if she were kinder to her own son, he got high because of the comment about how she lies to people say that she dropped him on his head when he was born, but he just was that way naturally. Her cruelty throughout the years led to her own downfall because I think Coover would have been a, a high-functioning sociopath has she encouraged him more. Maybe that was more her misstep is her misinterpretation of how much power she had and maybe because she surrounded her, she kind of had like this mid-level, like not going in fully into crime, but just kind of doing what was necessary to put her ahead and only surrounding herself by her family members who were like not really the best henchmen to have. And mm-hmm. so maybe that's what kind of got her into the pickle that she was in where she she was left with no choice and then everything backfired on her. Well, but then again, if you think about the opening episode of that particular season, she did leave some things up to her children and they hired this pedophile, which led to the initial downfall of their family because he went after Loretta because Loretta was essentially in the marijuana business. And she didn't ask Megs for permission, which led to Papa Macridiano, his first name, Mm -hmm. to call the feds to protect his daughter. And of course, you don't do that. You work, as Megs said, you got to work within the system Mm -hmm. and he went outside the system which i have to say that final scene that season two episode of her disposing of loretta's father which is so cold-blooded i'm like i should be scared of (laughs) i should be scared of meg i I appreciate her methods it was already in the glass (laughs) i know i thought that was pretty savage like that to me was one of like coldest things that i saw on the show because i didn't feel like the punishment fit the crime like it wasn't even like one of her own that betrayed her necessarily it was just kind of like a person that she had a relationship with and that's what I got the sense of so it was just very interesting to me that she was able to do it so quickly and so easily and he repeated himself multiple times it's like I didn't know he worked for you guys totally misunderstanding I'm sorry but I think she didn't even know he worked him really didn't you didn't she even be like you guys hired him what idiot so like she didn't even know either so she could realize that it was an honest date but the thing that screwed him over was planting that weed on her property. Yeah. I think that's what got him killed. Not so much the calling the pedophile. That was bad, but it was forgivable because it was just a miscommunication. Nobody knew anything about that. It was really a mistake on Dickie and Coover's part, but right. planting the weed, that's where he crossed the line and got yeah. himself killed. But yeah. Uh, and in relation, Loretta McCready, this was my first exposure to Caitlin Deaver. I think she's just so good in this role and to see how she grows throughout the series. By the end of the series, she's basically going to be the next Max, but she's going right. to be like the legal version of it because marijuana is anticipated to get passed as legal in the state of Kentucky. And so it was just really fun to see the character growth. I'm so glad that they kept bringing her back as the series went on. I would love to see a spinoff <laughs> with that Oh character. my goodness. <laughs> but I feeling like if they did a spinoff, it won't end well for her. It never ends well for the residents. Well, that's why you get surrogate Papa Raylan Givens to show up to, uh, <laughs> to protect oh, yeah. her. Oh. But um, that whole season, that collection of supporting recurring characters Season two is my favorite. Do I think it's the best season? Maybe not. I might have to give that to season four. But just in terms of the character arcs that we saw, season two is my favorite. Definitely a good storyline there. Very like solid to kind of get you more invested into Mm -hmm. the series. There's another supporting character that I wanted to bring up that I don't think Romeo had the chance to see because he didn't get a chance to get to the end of the series. A henchman named Boone, played by Jonathan Tucker. I love me some Jonathan Tucker. Okay. (laughs) He's so good. Now, this was the first time I've seen Jonathan Tucker. And same thing. I'm like, wow, this guy is freaking fantastic. How is he not a big movie or television star? I don't know. There's something about this guy. He's great. So he plays Boone. He's a henchman for Avery Markham. And he is obsessed with Loretta, for one. But also that he's obsessed with having, like, the ultimate duel. And he hears stories about Raylan Givens. He almost kind of emulates him and would love to have that one-on-one duel with him. He's just such a weird, fascinating character for those final few episodes. You're kind of happy that he popped in when he did because it just in- infused a little bit more life into the series as we started to wind down. So yeah, I just wanted to bring him up. I just thought that he was a really good character. To me, he 
was one of the most sociopathic, really scary characters that he's had scenes where I felt like I was sitting so still and just like waiting, waiting, waiting for something to happen and brings like so much anticipation. And the violence too kind of like kicks up a notch a little bit with his character. So maybe FX was really trying to like push the limit on their like rating to be able to do as much as possible. But yeah, definitely very scary character. Yeah, he's the one character for sure that I was just like, I don't know what he's going to do. Like when he's at the diner and he's basically annoying that student at the bar and he's messing with the waiter in his hipster hat. I was just thinking like, what is this guy going to do? Is he going to kill them? Is he going to wipe out the whole diner? (laughs) He's just crazy enough to do it. And he was the first character where I thought, I think this guy could kill Raylan. Yes. (laughs) I think he has a chance. Because he didn't bring any of the same level of respect or code of conduct that any of the other criminals did. He was, as you mentioned, the loose cannon, like some we've described some of the other characters, but a loose cannon in all the wrong ways. I don't know what he's going to do, meaning is he going to chop his head off or is he just going to shoot him one time? Yeah, that scene in particular, like was telling for the type of person he is. And you're just on the edge of your seat the whole time thinking like, oh, no, what is he going to do to him? What is he going to do to him? Romeo, when you get to Boone, you got to let me know. Okay. (laughs) And especially because, you know, him as an actor, I don't really have a lot of traction with him. So he's just a great utility actor. He comes in and he just elevates anything he said. Well, I think this is a good transition (laughs) to get into some of the high points. So is there anything that we haven't touched on yet, Kelly, that you consider to be some of the best high points of the series? Limehouse is a big name that kind of comes in and out. And he kind of helps to instigate, but also kind of infiltrates in different ways throughout the series. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's like a huge high point necessarily, but I feel like he at one point is integral in helping Ava potentially escape a situation, but then he kind of betrays her and tells people what what she's doing. So he's kind of like this interesting puppet master that kind of comes in and out that I think is part of big moments of things that happen in the series. And I think what makes him different from Boyd is the sense that Boyd is more out looking for himself, while Limehouse is more looking out for the entire nobles holler community. He basically doesn't want any white people coming in. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) He kind of makes that very clear. And there are times where I'm like, is this guy telling the truth? You know, and then later on, you find out whether or not it is the truth. But yeah, there's always something calculating, always something working in with Limehouse. But it's a really uh, good character. Limehouse like for protection and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like when when he we were kind of done with his arc, people would go back and hey, where is this thing hidden? Or who should I talk to? And then be like Limehouse. Like he was the name that would always. And I think he mentions in the series, too, he makes a point that Boyd comes and talks to him because he's a name that gets brought up of something that's important in his path. And Boyd is sitting in the restaurant and he said, do you know who that guy is? Do you know who that guy is? And Limehouse is pointing out these people and Boyd's like, no, I've never met them. And then he calls over to a guy sitting at the bar and he goes, hey, who is this guy sitting here? And he goes, that's Boyd Crowder and tells him like son of Bo Crowder, brother of whatever. And so he says, you know, your problem is that you don't listen. We pay attention to everything that's going on and we not we may not be at the forefront, but we know everything and anything that's happening around us. And mm-hmm. I think that plays into exactly his relationship with everybody on the show. And I think it's funny how the first time that Raylan needs to go out and talk to Limehouse, he brings Rachel along because Rachel dragged him to Harlan County to go talk to Mags and company, you know, because he's from the area. He returns the favor by dragging yeah. her along. <laughs> Your turn. Yeah. So I thought that was a really good scene. And we learned a little bit about Rachel, too, in that moment when he's like, I hear a little bit of that accent in you. Where are you from? And she's like, Tennessee. And Raylan's like, I didn't know you were from Tennessee. <laughs> right, right. She's a good old country girl, just like a lot of the other characters in the series. Again, uh, just like Raylan wanting to cut ties with his past. Yeah, they have a lot in common. What is the one episode you would show someone to get them interested? I am the type of person who feels like you need the whole picture and so you need to stick it out. And I know some people kind of go in and out of certain series, which you could probably do a little bit with this one, but I would start them off with the pilot because I feel like with the writing and the characters and the way that it's cast, if it doesn't hook you, it's not going to. Even if it's just Raylan Givens is really pretty, so I'm going to keep watching. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I feel attacked, Kelly. <laughs> I mean, but I'm saying it, it's enough to want more. And so mm. I would start off with the pilot, even though maybe not the most developed or exciting or this, this and that. I feel like there's a lot chock full in there that gives you a taste of what you're in for. I completely agree. This is the most perfect pilot I've seen in a while because it completely tells you what you should be expecting and it doesn't disappoint. The way you meet this character is just amazing. And then when he comes home and the way they talk about that incident and his reaction to it, how people are describing it is amazing. You're right. That's the only time we heard the word justified within the pilot, (laughs) but it works because then you'll never have to explain the title again. And they're able to move forward. Like the pilot is just, it's well acted, well scripted and well produced. It's one of the few shows where I forget I have a phone because it grabs your attention. That's good. And if you're a fan of film or writing, you watch that pilot. You watch it the first time to get a taste of it. Then you go back and you see all of those story beats because it's almost perfect. Well, Kelly, were there moments that you ever started to have your doubts about the show? I remember being pretty hooked and along for the ride and the twists and turns and how it is good about having new people come in and new storylines, but having that just deep undercurrent of Boyd versus Raylan the entire time. So it kept it fresh with maybe like new characters and kind of veering off, but it always came around to that point of let's get Boyd Crowder. I was always waiting for that moment to happen and was along for the ride. Earlier, you stated that you were watching like three to four episodes at a time. Is that something you would recommend and how to binge the show? How would you say someone should binge the show? Would you recommend the strategy that you did or would you say that, hey, go crazy. You can maybe try to finish a whole season in one day. (laughs) Like Like I'm about to this summer. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's personal preference, especially I rewatched it a little bit closer to the recording of this podcast so I can refresh because it's been so long ago. I don't typically rewatch things when they're done. I just kind of carry the moment with me forever. But I, I was rewatching it and I was surprised at how the first season was very episodic, that it was almost like came to a re- resolution at the end. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember it being like that because I remember just this, like I said, the undercurrent of Boyd versus Raylan the entire time. So I don't know. I think it's personal preference. I think it's a great one to binge because there are so many cliffhangers and so much intrigue and you want to know what's going to happen. But I think it's fine to kind of pick up and put down. So I think this show works really well for whenever you're starting to feel bored or you start to want to look at your phone, put it down and then come back because this is the type of show that will keep you engaged the entire time. But if you're going to get burnt out then stop and come back and it'll be really good when you can devote yourself to it. I will say, especially in season four, we have a lot of those big developments. You kind of want to pace yourself because I think those big moments, because they did air them week to week, I think you do need that breather to really let that sink in and see how that's going to impact everyone involved. I think I called one of the episodes, I forgot which one, that it was like the Red Wedding episode where there was just so much freaking death going left and right. We're just like, okay. (laughs) And then I jumped into the next one and I'm thinking, you know, I probably would have appreciated the impact because it was a big turning point in the season where I think I would appreciate it more if I had more time to reflect what just happened in that particular episode. Yeah, you could binge it if you want to just get your fill of it. But at the same time, I would advise you once you hit one of those big moments, step back and allow yourself to process it because I think it would be much more enjoyable if you just sit with what just happened. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's say someone doesn't want to commit to the entire series. Do you have a recommended viewing order to help with the experience? I don't just because, like I said, I'm kind of one of those people that likes to take in the whole thing and go with the progression of the show. And especially with such great writing, I feel like you got to take the journey. It's in this order for a reason. This is how it happened. But I don't know. Each season is different. So I think that's personal preference as well. Mm -hmm. You particularly said you really liked season four. And I don't know that I would rank that towards the top of mine necessarily. So I think it's just kind of personal preference. I agree. Even though, like you said, there's some episodic moments in season one, they're still worth it, man. Like, sure, you could, if you want, try to fish out those episodic episodes and skip them if you want. But for this particular show, I don't think it's worth doing that. No, and I completely agree because you gave me a list of episodes to prepare for this. So I got a flavor of it. I was lost. Like, I lost a lot of nuances. You need to watch every single episode. It's almost how I describe the way, like, the first season 
True Detective was written like a novel. It's like tearing out chapters that build on these characters and you're like, here's a condensed version. Now enjoy. But yet you miss those little character moments that sort of build to this big crescendo and you're like, because it doesn't mean as much. And that's why, because you told me that you should watch the final couple episodes. I stop because I don't want to ruin it because there's just so much that's going on that you need to watch every single moment because yeah, there's a lot of plot, but it's really character based. And if you don't take the time to appreciate those journeys, those big plot moments kind of ring hollow. That's good for you though. I mean, I think that speaks very highly of the show that you didn't even want to watch the end because you were like, no, 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 this is going to be too good. I want to do it the right way. And so I think that's great. So some shows you just got to watch the whole thing and it's not a lot of episodes anyway. No. They're 45 minutes long. So it's an easy binge. It really is. Do you need other material to enrich the show's viewing experience? I would say not. If you want to supplement, I guess, but I don't think so. I think that it's good on its own. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there is the fire in the whole short story that Elmore Leonard wrote that the series is based off of, but ah, you don't need to read it. And there are Raylan Givens books by Elmore Leonard out there. There's Raylan. The show inspired him to write the book. So if someone's a fan of the show and maybe they can give it a shot and see if they like it. But yeah, I, yeah, I don't think there's any essential readings when it comes to the series either. Here's an interesting one. Would you want a reboot or a continuation series? I'm going to say no, because I like it so much. You know, as much as I trust the writers and everything, there's always that chance that the reboot is just going to ruin it. And I thought that the show did so good, including with the finale of a series, which is really hard to do. I think mm. they did such a great job that it should be left as is. And even it being considered older, when did it wrap? 2016 or so? 15. Mm -hmm. Even going back, sometimes you watch shows and there's some so much like modern disconnect now because we've grown so much. There's not. You go back and it's just as enjoyable watching season one today as it was when I first watched it. So I would leave it as is. As much as I love the characters, I feel like there's enough. It was so giving in the series as it is now that I would just have it be that. I wouldn't be opposed to a Tim Gutterson spinoff. Because <laughs> 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 there's so much to that backstory that I'd be open to it. He's a former military, definitely has a drinking problem. There's something there. There's something interesting. And the show didn't really get to explore Rachel and Tim all that much. But right. even Rachel's backstory, there's a lot of baggage that they're carrying that I wouldn't be opposed to exploring if they gave one or both of them a spinoff. I agree with that. I mean, there's so much that can still be unpacked with so much of that series. But I think I'm just so protective of it. that I don't, I'd be open to it. Believe me, if it was presented, I'd watch it immediately, but it would make me nervous. All right, we're winding down here. So briefly discuss who you think could enjoy Justified. Oh gosh, who would enjoy it? I mean, I guess everyone. I think there's something in there for everybody because there's a bit of darkness to it, uh, as we mentioned before, like a dark comedy element, but it's a drama, but it has that kind of like Western feel. My dad is over 75 years old and he loves Westerns. And I almost like tried to get him to watch it because I thought there's enough there for him to enjoy what's here. So I don't know. I think there's something for everybody. It's funny you should say that because I actually watched this show from the very beginning week to week and I watched it with my dad. This is <laughs> this is to me a very dad show just to have that Western feel. It's very uh, adult themes. It has a little bit of humor, has enough action almost every episode. Yeah, it's definitely a good show for dads. I can definitely say that. <laughs> yeah, I was, that's what I was thinking this summer. I was going to binge it with my parents. Perfect. This is their cup of tea. This is like a more mature version of Texas. Um, it's <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> No, no. This is this is a more adult version of a Walker Texas Ranger. But that's nice because I would never consider it a family show necessarily. You know, if it was on FX, there's a certain darkness to it. But the fact that you can share it with family like speaks a lot to the show itself. Again, there's not a lot of uncomfortable material. You know, like there's sex scenes, but they're not they're weird. Consider you know, they're they're very tame. And I wouldn't feel weirded out. Well, Kelly, do you have any recommended shows that are similar to Justify? that people might enjoy or even movies? I guess I would say Ozark might be something kind of along the same vein. This okay. kind of like dark crime. That one's in Missouri, right? It has a lot of that culture, a lot of that like family crime scenario. So that might be something if you liked Ozark. I guess if you like Timothy Oliphant, something like Deadwood. This is kind of a, a weird one, but mm -hmm. I liked the show Luther with Idris Elba. Yep. I really liked that series. And I think that kind of like, 
like cop that bends the rules kind of thing. If you're into that, that might be something that be up your alley. Okay, well, we have a few. We'll see what you think about them. One that jumped out to me immediately was Longmire. Western crime drama. The main character is a longtime sheriff. He's like a throwback character like Raylan Givens. It has six seasons. It was on A&E for three seasons and then on Netflix for three seasons. So there are a total of 63 episodes. People liked it. And it's another show where I'm like, this gives me like dad show vibes. I've seen a few episodes. It's the closest thing that I could wrap my brain around. Fargo season two on the basis that it's cops versus crime family. And it has humor in it because it's Fargo. And there's just a lot of great shootout moments and just craziness all around and some really great performances. So Fargo season two is another one that I wanted to recommend as well. I don't know if you've seen Fargo, Kelly. Um, I have, and I like that as well. And just like justified great characters even though there's a lot of plot there i feel like it's driven by the great casting and the great characters and we thought maybe we should do some justice to the two main leads of timothy oliphant walton goggins if you like timothy oliphant you got to finish the lawman universe of timothy oliphant We already mentioned Deadwood, and there is the season two premiere of Mandalorian, chapter nine, The Marshal. It's my favorite Mandalorian episode. He it, is it, awesome in it. Timothy oh, Olyphant's in Fargo as well, this most recent season. Oh, that's right. Season four. <laughs> How yeah. did I forget that? Oh, it was fantastic. Okay, listeners, you can watch the whole season, but search those Timothy Olyphant episodes of Fargo season four and watch them to complete your Lawman universe of Timothy Olyphant. <laughs> forgot all about that. You mentioned Lawman, and I read that justified that was its working title was mm-hmm. Lawman. But then Steven Seagal came out with his Lawman and they're like, oh, we got to pick a new name. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> it's one of those things where you can't imagine it any other way. Like if justified was called anything else, it would feel so different. How could it be called mm-hmm. Lawman? Yeah. And one more is Timothy Oliphant was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now it's a little meta because he's an actor playing a Lawman, but <laughs> It's still a really great performance. And for Walton Goggins, Vice Principals. Him and Danny McBride are so funny on that show. It's only 18 episodes. He plays a vice principal who's very flamboyant and ridiculous and just very backstabbing. And it's just Walton Goggins at his finest, honestly. Let's see. Oh, we did it. We talked about Justified. We reached the end. We did it. It's done. Now we'll never talk about it again until I watch the episode and bring it up in every other podcast. There could probably be a podcast about every character, just like you said, a spinoff about everything. We can go on and on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, Kelly... Thanks for joining us. Hope you had a great time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Well, if you ever want to come back, you're more than welcome to. Well, I watch a ton of shows, so I'm sure there'll be some crossover again. Awesome. All right. Well, all that being said, listeners, stay tuned for Final Thoughts and Mailbag. Welcome back. Romeo, this was a fun discussion with Kelly. I was surprised that she would be interested in talking about Justify because like we talked about in the show, this feels like a very dad show. Not not necessarily a bro show, but just a show for guys, it seems like, you know what I mean? But to get a female's perspective on it and to see how much she enjoyed it, and it really says a lot because there really is so much more than just your regular badass cop shooting bad guys. There's so many layers to the show and we discussed this so well, thanks to Kelly, that I really enjoyed this discussion. You're right. Looking at any of the season key art, it reminds me a lot of those old-timey Western paperbacks. And there is a target audience, but I think it's the writing and the acting that really pushes through that. Timothy Oliphant is just amazing. He really elevates the material in a way that I think he makes it more accessible than it would have been if a different actor was in this role. Yeah, I agree. And also bring in Walton Goggins he's that bad guy you just love to watch those two really did a tremendous job and just making it feel like this show could be for anybody as was shown by the discussion that we had hope to have kelly back she provides interesting perspectives that we haven't experienced yet from other guests yeah it was really cool let's go ahead and move on we have some things we wanted to touch on from the discussion where is walton goggins from he is from the south he was born in alabama and he was raised in georgia and kelly brought up 
that he was reluctant to play Boy Crowder, which is true. In Rolling Stone, he said that he actually turned it down twice. So let me go ahead and read the excerpt here. I turned down Justify twice. It was only because I was a big fan of Tim Oliphant and Graham Yost's work that I said, look, I'll say the things you want me to say in the pilot because this is Elmore Leonard's world. But in order for me to do this, I need Raylan Givens to acknowledge that Boyd does not believe a word he's saying because you add that factor and suddenly he becomes a much more interesting, more complex character. And God bless them. They gave me autonomy over Boyd. After the pilot, the character never said the N word again. Over the course of six years on the show, I was only asked once more to say it in a line of dialogue and I said, no, it wasn't right. I wasn't going to go near that storyline. So that is the story behind that. What do you think about that, Romeo? That's amazing. I mean, here's an actor that has moral convictions that understands the power of words and how much they can hurt. And that was kind of ballsy to say, hey, you want me for this role? Here are my terms. And this character wouldn't have been as memorable if they'd gone with the original plan. And I kind of wish more actors were this convicted because it is a two-way street. It's one thing to create a character, but then the character takes on its own life. And this becomes this sort of this nice symbiotic relationship between the actor and the writers and how they both influence each other in creating a character. This is a perfect example. And in the long run, it helped the series. I'm just happy that the writers were able to acknowledge that possibility. We couldn't remember the exact pronunciation of Jerry Burns' name. He plays Wynn Duffy. And that's it. It's spelled J-E-R-E, which left us a little confused. I think I might actually cut it out in the episode of us trying to figure out how it's pronounced. But yeah, it's Jerry Burns. Uh, Romeo, you can remember Walt McCready's first name. Well, Walt McCready is the father of Loretta. No big deal. Just something that I wanted to point out to people. because you'll, you'll forever be Papa McCready in my heart. It's a good name, Papa McCready. Honestly. Right? It's even for the character's name. <laughs> Someone who listens to us that really cares as much, go on the fan wiki and change the name. <laughs> Romeo, you referenced a season four episode that was like the Red Wedding to you. That was season four, episode eight, Outlaws. There were seven deaths in the episode. I, I was shocked. I'm like, What? <laughs> a couple big ones too you know, that was the I, thing and i felt like i spoiled this for myself because i was watching a slimmed down version just to get myself familiar with the show and i'm like i cheated myself i really cheated myself because i know this would have had a much bigger impact if i was able to see every single episode and that's my fault because outlaws honestly is just one of the best episodes of the series and i felt like you needed to watch that i just <laughs> thought it was going to come up and it, we kind of skirted around the episode because kelly was more inclined to not not to spoil the show. Yeah, so I, I attest to taking the blame. I'm not one of those people that mind spoilers. Ultimately, I will get to it, and if the writing is good, I will enjoy it, how it unfolds on the screen. We have one more. Who does Timothy Oliphant play in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is something I had to ask myself because in the episode I talked about, you gotta watch all the material that Timothy Oliphant played like a lawman, and in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he played James Stacy as Johnny Madrid Lancer, the star of the show Lancer. James Stacy, a real actor. Lancer was a real show. And in the movie, they were shooting the pilot where Leonardo DiCaprio starred as the villain of the week in an episode of Lancer. So that's like my favorite part of the whole movie was him shooting his scenes in Lancer. So with dumb luck, this episode is going to be coming out about a week after some Justified news broke out. The Justified team reunites to develop Elmore Leonard novel at FX. Timothy Oliphant rumored to return as Raylan Givens. That is a headline courtesy of Variety. The team behind Justified will be adapting Elmore Leonard's novel City Primeval High Noon in Detroit. There's an opportunity for Timothy Oliphant to come back as Raylan Givens. Graham Yost is going to serve as executive producer and Justified writers and executive producers Michael Dinner and Dave Andron on board to co-write, executive produce, and serve as co-showrunners. Dinner is going to also direct. So hearing about this, this I think is going to feel sort of like it's in the Justified universe, but definitely be its own thing. And if we do get any Raylan Givens, it's only going to be like an episode episode here and an episode there. I, I can't imagine them making him a big player in this series because I think Timothy Oliphant's just going to want to be working on other things. But again, I'm not opposed to the character coming back, but I would be opposed if it was him being a main character. Because I'm looking at the synopsis of the book 
book, City Primeval, it has its own distinct lead character. If you were just coming in because maybe like the cases overlap towards the end of the season or something, or he's handing over some case files, I would be cool with that. All right, so that does it for the Justified Talk. So last week we did the Mighty Ducks and we had some news come out about the upcoming show. Exclusive from Entertainment Weekly, the Mighty Ducks original film stars returning for an episode of the Disney Plus revival. So there's going to be a massive reunion in episode six. It's going to be featuring characters from all three films, including Eldon Henson as Fulton, Matt Doherty as Averman, Vinny LaRusso as Adam Banks, Marguerite Moreau as Connie, Garrett Henson as Guy, and Justin Wong as Kenny Wu. I'm not going to go into the whole synopsis of the episode that they have written out here on Entertainment Weekly. I'm just going to say that when we talked about it with Garrett, if he'd like to see some of the characters back, we definitely talked about it would be cool to see Charlie back. But now that we're getting all of these guys, but no Charlie, I'm still pretty excited to see them back in the uniforms too. What do you think, Romeo? It'll be interesting to see where they are now because sometimes reunions work and sometimes you just leave walking out like, what, what was the point? Yeah, so we'll see what happens. It's time to tell us where you guys can reach us. Here's something you should do. If you're enjoying listening to Binge Essentials, and we know you are because we can track the place. We don't know who you are, but we know you're listening. It would be wonderful if you guys could rate and review us, especially on Apple Podcasts. Five-star review if you really like what you're listening and review us. Say nice things. We'll read them on our show. Say mean things. We'll read it on our show. Help us out with the algorithms is basically what we're trying to say. But if you want to reach us in a different way, bingeessentials at gmail.com is a great way to reach us and get your thoughts on the show. If you have anything that you'd like to say from our previous episodes, that is the best way to do it. We'll read it on the show and we'll talk about it. Or if you just want to ask us any other random question, if you ask us a good enough question, maybe we'll make a special episode answering your question. That's just a thought. It'd be nice to interact with the fans. Other ways, find us on Facebook and like our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram. Follow us there at Binge Essentials. You can find me on Instagram at David Rocha Binge. You can find me on Twitter at David Rocha Radio. You can find Romeo on Instagram at rmora02. And you can find him on Twitter at rmora1. Time to tease next week's episode. Next week, we're going to be talking about Star Trek The Next Generation with Wesley Riddle. This discussion, I wasn't sure because this is a very big property, probably the biggest one to date. The discussion, I thought, turned out pretty well. And I know Romeo, who's a big Star Trek The Next Generation fan, was very much looking forward to this. So you guys definitely want to come back next week for that. All right. With all that being said, thanks for listening. Catch you guys next week.